We're uh, beginning with a brand new series called Journey, and what we're going to do is actually we're going to uh, follow Jesus in his final uh, journey, his final um, route as he goes from uh, Caesar, uh, Caesarea Philippi, which is in the north, and he makes his way down south into uh, Jerusalem. And if you have a Bible, we're going to take a look at this. Matthew chapter 16. In fact, over the next five weeks in this series of journey, as we make our way to Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and also Good Friday and Easter, uh, we're, we're going to be mo- uh, mainly in the Gospel of Matthew because Matthew really outlines this journey. So if you have a Bible, chapter 16, verses 21 through 26, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, From then on, I'd like to underline that phrase, this is, a, this is the marker. Matthew can be broken up simply in two, uh, two sections. Everything before Matthew 6, 16, 21, and then uh, everything after verse 21, because this is, this is the shift. They're, so they are in uh, Caesarea Philippi, but from then on, they're making their way south. Okay? So that's a very key phrase. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that he, it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. And that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the the teachers of the religious law. He'd be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Peter took him aside, but Peter took him aside, and began to reprimand him. Now the word for that, reprimand, is rebuke. You may want to write that down. It's actually a very strong term for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Let me pray for us this morning. God in heaven, I pray your blessing upon this time. Um, as we dive into uh, this remarkable journey. And I pray that you would open our eyes to the stories and the people and the terrain and the different things that we're going to see as we, in a sense, walk with Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. So here's a map. Here's a map of uh, where Jesus is actually, you can't see that. Let's, Let's zoom in a little bit. If you look on the very, very top you'll see uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi, if we can zoom in, Jim, and then you see the route, you can see that black line, he makes his way down into Jerusalem. For example, he comes into Samaria, uh, John chapter 4, uh, he has a conversation with the woman at the well, and she, be- she come- becomes a follower, and yet the Samaritans won't allow him to actually go into Samaria. Because Samaria was actually the closest or the, the shortest route to Jerusalem. So he has to take a detour. He goes around into the Jordan Valley. You can kind of see that there. He takes a route down the Jordan Valley. But along the way, and this, I think this series, at least for me and people I've talked to, it's going to tie together some of the stories that we've heard before, like Zacchaeus, uh, the raising of Lazarus. Uh, the, uh, the healing of two blind beggars, Jesus being at the home of Mary and Martha. All these things happen on this last journey as he makes his way into Jerusalem. So I'm going to talk more about this, that route and what's happening here, but I need to dive in and take a look at um, 
what we're looking in, in terms of uh, the responses. There's two responses, I think, that we see here because Jesus predicts his, his death. And it says that from the, this time on or from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples. And he tells them uh, some news that they, they don't want to hear because they have cer- certain messianic expectations. Uh, their expectations that the Messiah would actually overthrow, overthrow or thwart the enemies of Israel and the Jewish people would be, in a sense, liberated uh, from under the boot of the Roman Empire. They, they expected that. And yet, Jesus begins to predict his death. And it's, it's not what they expected. Because in the Old Testament, uh, in Hosea mainly, chapter 6, when it talks about the Messiah, um, it doesn't talk about uh, a death, per se. The Jewish people, and in, in, especially in Judaism, they translated that and they interpreted that, that something would happen to the nation to the, to, the, to the people of Israel, not the Messiah. So this is news that, that they have not heard before and the fact that Jesus is going to die and, and be killed. Which, by the way, let me mention this. As disciples, as followers of Christ, when Jesus is saying this, they know full well what kind of death would be. It'd be crucifixion on a cross. And they probably, in their minds, are thinking, this is going to happen to me too. Because we're followers with him. And it was very common that if you associated with a criminal, uh, that you'd be guilt by association. And, and it's, it would not be an uncommon or a far-fetched assumption to think, these disciples are scared. Because they think they may be crucified as well. And I think that helps understand a little bit of the reactions that we see, and, and we'll see in the upcoming weeks. But we see this response from uh, Peter as, as Jesus says what he's, he's going to die in verse 22. But Peter took him aside and, said, and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. In your teaching notes, if you want to follow along, what he's saying is this is not the way it should go. This, this movement, by this time, Jesus is very popular. People are following him. The disciples are becoming popular. And Peter's response is this is not the way this should go which is very interesting. I'm not going to uh, read it, but verses 13 through 16, earlier, just moments earlier, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, he rebukes Jesus. He says, no, this is never going to happen. And rebuke, by the way, if you want to write this down, the original language, it meant to say, it meant to say something to somebody, to confront them on something they said or did that was wrong. Okay, this is not simply like challenging Jesus. What he is saying to Jesus, what you're doing or going to, going to do is wrong. Okay, disciples didn't do that. Disciples didn't uh, rebuke their rabbi. If Jesus was like the other rabbis of the day, he would have kicked Peter out right there. He would have been, he'd been ostracized, kicked out, in shame and disgrace, and he would go back to fishing with his dad. He'd be done but Jesus doesn't do that. And in fact, what we see here is actually a response by Jesus. It's even stronger. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. It's very interesting, that response. He's not saying, Peter, you are uh, demon-possessed. He's not at all. He's simply saying that, Peter, you're being used in a way by the kingdom of evil to be a stumbling block. 
It's actually a little play on words here that what, what Jesus is trying to say, because earlier uh, when, when Peter makes that declaration that Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Then, then Jesus says to Peter, uh, Peter, you are the rock upon, upon which my church is going to be built. And it's a little play on the words in terms of the, what we see here is that now Peter is a stumbling rock to what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus says, get out of the way. You don't know who I am. You really don't know what my mission is. Get away from me, Satan. Which, by the way, if you ever get in an argument with somebody and they're giving you a hard time and maybe they're saying things you don't like, just say, you know, repeat that same verse. Get behind me, Satan. See kind of what kind of response you get. Okay, it wasn't funny. I tried. All right. Anyways, so we see this. And by the way, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is like the first major crisis. Up until this point, we don't see any kind of tension like, like this. Between, Peter, between Jesus and disciples. This is, this is very tense. But what we see here, though, is not only do the disciples and Jesus, or uh, Peter, uh, not only do they not understand Jesus, they don't know who he really is, even though Peter said, you're the Messiah, doesn't really understand that, who Jesus is. Not only that, but what they're doing is they're making Jesus in their image. They're they're making Jesus into their expectations, and we do the same thing, don't we? Is that when God comes to us and, and, and we live in life with him, and so many times we actually form God in our image rather than us being made in the image of God or living our lives in the image of God. So many times I form and fashion Jesus or God in the way that I want, just like Peter. This, this story right here, this is our story. You know, this story happened thousands of years ago, but at the same time, it's our story today because we do that. We, we make God, we make Jesus in our image according to our expectations. But the question is, do you and I really know who Jesus is? And if he pulls a 360 on us, kind of like what he does with the disciples here, if he changes the course, um, are we still willing to follow him? Are we still willing to follow him? And some of you have heard this story before, um, some of you have not, but I've been here um, on staff almost eight years, it'll be eight years in June, and uh, we had our previous senior pastor transition, and um, I stepped in as the interim, but my, my plan when I came here in 2011 was, as associate pastor, was to work for a couple of years full-time, and then actually become part-time and finish my doctorate and actually be a full-time professor at Bethel University because God was opening doors at Bethel for me. And I had no plans of being a senior pastor. If I had been a senior, a senior pastor before, I'd done that. Um, kind of checked off that on my list. And uh, as I was uh, interim pastor, God was really put on my heart for me to put my name in as the lead pastor here at this church. And I resisted. But I remember I was preaching um, on, on, during that time I was at, as interim uh, the parable of the talents. And I remember God really using that, that parable, that story, and reminding, uh, God reminding me that I have, not, and not that he said audibly, but I sensed it in my spirit where God was saying to me, I have given you certain gifts. I have given you gifts of preaching and leading, and you are going to be held accountable to that. Uh, this Bethel thing, which by the way, I gave you, uh, you still can do that, but, but that's not your primary calling. Your primary calling is to be a pastor and use those gifts. 
and then I put my name in the hat, and then that, that was a 360 for me. And it came to, just like we see here, am I still willing to follow Jesus? When a change occurs like that, it goes against my expectations, it went against, went against my five-year plan. Uh, when that happens, are we still willing to follow him? That's the question. So Peter's response is, that's not the way it should go. And then the next response is Jesus saying, follow me wholeheartedly. I love this. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, because right away, after he sort of admonishes, not sort of, but he does, admonish Peter, then he turns to the disciples and kind of uses this as a lesson. How many of you have parents, your, kid, your, your child does something, and, and, and you kind of use that as an a, uh, opportunity, a moment of teaching the rest of your kids? How many have done that before? Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing, like, like, like a good teacher does. He turns to the rest of the disciples to kind of give them a lesson, and that's exactly what 24, 25, and 26 are. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. In certain translations, it goes, If any of you wants to be my follower, for you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. And that's very important because in verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, those two fours are very important in terms of what Jesus is trying to say here and what Jesus is trying to describe, and what he's really doing, he's outlining the fact of what discipleship is all about. And discipleship is about self-denial. This idea of actually um, uh, giving up their life for his sake and taking up their cross. Because it was very common, and the disciples would know this, that any time a person was sentenced uh, for a crucifixion, they, they had to carry the cross. It was very customary. So Jesus is talking about this the sacrifice and the self-denial to take up their cross and follow him. And what he's talking about is deny yourself. Get rid of your, your selfish expectations and plans and follow me. So he's equating this fact of taking up the cross with becoming a disciple of Jesus. And are you and I willing to do the same thing? To actually deny ourself. To deny ourself. To deny the, the, the things that we want in our lives. And Jesus, obviously, is the archetype. Because as we follow through the story and we see the story in the Gospels, is that Jesus does exactly that. He denies himself. He sacrifices himself. And as disciples, we're called to do the same thing. That's very important. I'm going to jump down to verse 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worse, worth more than your soul? I like to circle those two words, soul. Because what he's talking about is soul, it means many different things, but what he's try, really trying to get at is the totality of who you are. Um, he's saying, follow me wholeheartedly. Don't hold anything back. That's what he's trying to say when he says, with your, with your whole soul. And if you give your soul to the world, which it's easy for us to do, isn't it? I mean, it's, we're constantly bombarded by messages in our culture to, to do this, to do that. And sometimes we're actually uh, pulled from family and friends to go in a certain way. And, and when God has a plan for our life, it's hard for us to stick to that plan when others may have expectations for us and may try to, in a sense, be a stumbling rock to the plan that God has for our life. That might be your story. But we, to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow him. 
and not to give our soul to other things. Just love that. And as uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about soul, it's really the, the accumulation of things too. The accumulation of material things. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes says it's meaningless. That luxury and wealth um, are not a part of the plan for God. And that for um, us to be disciples. Now God might provide luxurious, luxurious things. He m- might provide wealth. But there are means, not an end. And an end for a disciple is to deny. And for us to follow in that way. So as we make our, ourself, uh, as we make our, our way through this journey of, uh, to Jerusalem, I invite you to, to follow along with Jesus and the disciples and for us in the upcoming weeks as we make our way because we're going to see some incredible stories. We're going to see him encountering Zacchaeus. Uh, we're going to see some uh, miraculous healings. And then finally, um, his last stop at Mary and Martha's house where he's anointed before he goes into the city of Jerusalem. Join us in this series. If you miss uh, any of the Sundays, I invite you to listen online. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, thank you for this text of Matthew chapter 16. And I pray, God, that we would follow in the same way, that we would actually take up the cross and follow Christ. And as the disciples eventually do, as they join him on this route going south to Jerusalem, God, let us, whatever stumbling blocks are in our ways, whatever expectations that we have from other people, when you call us to something, when you invite us into something, help us to stay clear to that. Help us to be focused to that. And sometimes that might mean that we have to walk alone for a little while. God, I pray that uh, in us, that you would give us strength and courage and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.